Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Impossible Podcast. On today's show, I have Cam F. Awesome. He's a five-time USA National Champion in boxing, a four-time Golden Gloves winner. Uh, he's a speaker, a comedian. He's a really funny dude. Uh, sometimes you'll see uh, him make a joke and then there'll be a little bit of silence. And That's because I'm standing away from my microphone trying not to laugh because it would uh, screw up the recording process. But uh, dude's got jokes. His post-fight interviews are really something you should go on YouTube and check them out. Uh, we talk about resiliency. We talk about the similarities between boxing and ultra endurance running. And then we also talk about success and building up your resume from scratch and making yourself valuable when you're starting off in your career and business. It's a really interesting talk. I, I had a lot of fun. And like I said, if you hear some silences after his jokes, because I'm actually standing away from the microphone because I'm laughing so hard. So before we get into the podcast, if you guys want to support the show, check out impossiblegear.com. It's the most comfortable gear to wear when you're about to do something uncomfortable. So if you've got something on your impossible list that you've been wanting to do but have been pushing off, go to impossiblegear.com, get an impossible shirt, throw it on, look yourself in the mirror, and remind yourself that you can push your limits and do something impossible. And then go do the thing that you've always wanted to do, okay? I have to warn you guys that wearing an impossible shirt may cause you to spontaneously improve your pull-up max by about 50 pull-ups. It's true. It can happen. So be careful out there, all right? If you use the promo code podcast, you'll get 10% off. So check it out, impossiblegear.com. Also, check out movewellapp.com. It's the best mobility app out there. If you want to feel better, have less pain, recover faster, and get stronger, if you're sitting down for most of your work week, you should be doing at least 10 minutes of mobility work a day. Doing mobility on your own sucks. So we built Movil up to make it easier, give you custom routines based on specific issues that we saw people facing that I face myself. Each routine has a series of movements that you can complete in under 10 minutes and they're narrated by, yep, yours truly. So check it out at movewell.com. It's a free app. Get it. Do your 10 minutes of mobility, get healthy, get stronger, get faster, and start moving well. Movealapp.com, check it out. All right, guys, that's it for the intro. Let's get into my talk with Cam F. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Impossible Podcast. Today on the show, I have Cam F. Awesome. He's a boxer, a speaker, a comic, and yes, he has legally actually changed his name to Awesome. Cam, welcome to the show. Ah, Thanks for having me. And that's just one of the cool things you can do when you're an adult. <laughs> so I looked this up because that was your Twitter handle and I was figured it, oh, it's just his Twitter handle, Cam F. Awesome. And uh, no, you actually legally changed your name to F awesome. Yeah, yeah. Before it was uh Lenroy Cameron Thompson Jr. And that's not catchy. So <laughs> way too many names. Like I found out that uh that Cameron, because that was my name at the time, my middle name was Cameron, and everyone called me Cameron. And I found out it was unisex. Uh and then I giggled because that's what eight year olds do. <laughs> then I found out it meant it was for like a boy and it was for a girl. And I was like I don't want to be bisexual. So I just had everyone call me Cameron. 
after like the rapper in, yep. in the nineties. Hey Ma. Yeah. And then there we, go. Then yeah, that was a hey Ma dude. Hey Ma. Yep. What's I up? got you. Let's try. We gonna get it on tonight. <laughs> I smoke. I smoke. I drink. Me too. Say we're yeah, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> so um so for uh my my listeners who aren't quite familiar with you, you want to give us a little bit of your background, how you got into, uh, uh, you know, who you are, where you're from, how you got into boxing, and then we'll uh, get into all your other endeavors from there as well. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone knows who I am. No, I'm joking. No one knows who I am. Uh, <laughs> people in my own neighborhood Walmart have no clue who I am. Just a weird dude that comes in at weird hours. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm born in Long Island, New York. I started boxing at 17. Uh, got really good really quickly, and uh, it's won nationals uh, a bunch of times, and got to travel around the world and represent America in the national competition, and uh, won nationals, gold glove nationals four times, U.S. men's nationals seven times, ringside worlds, I believe eight times, national pal three times. Uh, and now I'm trying to make the transition out of boxing into uh, motivational speaking. And I do stand-up comedy as well. And I emcee a bunch of events. So There you go. So what, uh, what about boxing drew you in? I'm always curious what uh, – I've never been involved in boxing ever. I always played sports, basketball, uh, track and field, stuff like that. Boxing was always kind of outside uh, the realm of – anything I really considered. So how did you get introduced to boxing and, and, and why was it interesting to you? And then how did you get so, so good so quick? Uh, I think I, I honestly, I got into it because it was the only free gym in the neighborhood and I, <laughs> I never made any teams in high school or in middle school or anything. So I never played any sports and it's not too hard to make the team in boxing because there's no team. It's, a, <laughs> it's more of a, you compete against yourself type of deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I love that it's an individual sport because whether you're fighting or you're just doing it for a workout you compete against yourself. So it's just more of a personal accountability deal. And as long as you're in the greatest shape you can possibly be in, you will beat 99% of the people. Uh, mm-hmm. for one, you'll, you'll need to believe that you're in that greatest shape and, once you know that you are, there comes confidence. So you don't, you do need to be confident uh, in boxing, but you just need to be confident in your own personal abilities. So interesting. One of the things that I I, I played basketball for, I want to say like fifteen years, uh, growing up, and then through high school and college, and then I got into track and field. And one of the things I liked about track and field was the individual aspect that you were talking about, where it's not necessarily about a team. It's not necessarily about like uh, synergy or anything like that. It's just like you show up and and one you kind of have to beat yourself. But then uh, with track and field, there's numbers that you have to hit. And if you, you know your number isn't better than the other guy, then you can't fudge it. You can't yeah. you can't say hey, well you know he had a you know he had a better team around him or you know it was a it was a bad fit with the players on the court. Or coach uh, took me out too early. Yeah, um, and that's one of the things that sounds like boxing where it's like, you know, you can't, uh, you can go up against the boxer and you can kind of, you know, know where you're at, but you're not, uh, 
you're always you're always competing. You can't uh, hide against... anything. It, it it you'll be exposed. That's, that's basically what it is. And a lot of people don't like that part of it, but as long as you aren't in a position to be exposed, you should be good. Uh, like in in like music, everyone can say I'm the best rapper alive, or or LeBron James is the best basketball player. In boxing, it's there's nothing subjective. Well, besides the scoring system, <laughs> but you get beat up. You get beat up. Uh, artists can like I know a lot of rappers like I'm the greatest rapper alive. Like mm, very subjective. Everyone likes different things, but no one likes getting punched in the face until they fall asleep. So that's. Uh, that's usually how you choose who the better boxer is. There's uh what's the saying? Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yep. And uh and one of the things that I, I is interesting to me about combat sports is just the the reality of it. There there is no there's no hiding, like you said. There's no yeah, like you can you can kind of uh you know, maybe you can hide behind the scoring of the system, but from a reality of this, you know, the situation, if you get knocked out you you definitely didn't. Yeah, you, you go night night. You can't spin that. No, no. It, it's it. That's my favorite part of it. So what? Uh, as as you got into boxing, like you said, okay, it's the it was the only gym around, or you know that you could get into. Uh, there's a big spread between getting into boxing, being interested in boxing, you know, showing up at the gym, and then getting really good as you have done it and, you know, qualifying for all these things. So what, what really pulled you in? Like, was there a specific thing that, you know, made you sit down and say, Hey, you know, I'm not just going to do this, you know, cause it's fun or it's going to get me in shape, but I'm going to get really good at this. Uh, what, what could sort of flip that switch for you? What, what made you want to dedicate all this time and energy uh, to really get into it like that? Because uh, you're still, you're still an amateur. You never went pro. Is that right? Yep. Still amateur. And, uh, I, I used to, th- I, I figured out why it happened. Uh, I joined a boxing gym at, just for a sense of community and losing weight and, uh, meeting chicks. That was like, I was like, ah, I, like I was fat and awkward and, uh, got called bosoms cause I had man boobs. And I was like, if I just look good, I'll just get a bunch of girls and be confident. And right as I lost the weight, my senior year in high school, my parents had moved to Florida. So I had to go to a different high school and it hit me that like in, in school before I was getting bullied and I was awkward. And, and then I realized I could move and I could be whoever I want and no one would know. And I used that to my advantage. So I would, I, I would walk around like this one specific kid I would think about in high school. He's like the cool kid, uh, in my school in New York. And, when I got to Florida, I was like, well, I'm just going to do and say whatever this kid would, would do or say. And uh, I was basically just faking confidence. And I mm-hmm. accidentally faked the confidence for real. And I was working out so much because like, it was the only sense of community I had. I didn't really have any friends. So I would just be in the gym all the time. And I used to walk – it was 6.3 miles five times a week from my high school to the boxing gym. And I would have to walk all the time and I'm not going to walk that much and lose a fight. <laughs> so uh, that coupled with the fake confidence that became real confidence that fed my new confidence, which only made more confidence. Uh, basically, I was a dick at one point because I was so full of myself. And uh, I think that's that's why I became good. But it was the first thing that I ever found out that I was 
good at or anything I've ever, it's the first thing I've ever found success in. And I realized so, at that point that like, if you just try harder than everyone else, you'll be better than them. And I've taken that philosophy and I've moved it to different aspects of my life. So, so with those six point, what, 6.3 miles, yeah, you said yeah. that you're walking every, is there and back uphill both ways in the snow? <laughs> Bro, that is, Florida. that is, that is, uh, that is the exact line I use when I, when I talk about it in speeches. Uh, okay. I say it's not like when your parents walk ten miles uphill in the snow to school and ten miles back uphill home. Like I, I'm not quested. I have I have the picture and a slide just to like prove it because it sounds like I was exaggerating it. And while it was happening, like right now, I would never do that in my head. Like walk six point six miles every day in in the sun to what to work out? Nope. Uh, but while it was going on, I was so blinded by it, by being so close to everything that I never had a chance to step back and take a look at it. And I believe if I would have taken a look at it, I would have crumbled under pressure. Hmm. But now I look back and I'm like, wow, I would never be able to do that. And then I have to remind myself, well, it's me. So, I mean, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves and they can't handle it. So I put zero pressure on anything I do. I usually don't think about much before I do it. What a what I kind of like about that strategy. I've done I've done similar things in the past where you you said something. You know, you I wasn't going to walk all that way to not win a fight or to get beat up. And um, one of the like I one of the things I like about that is I've done similar things with races and everything. It's like I didn't come all this way to not to give up halfway through the race or give up. Uh, you know, before I finish what I started with yourself, because I have these little talks with myself. No, oh, I, I talk to myself all the time. I have, uh, I have entire like theses <laughs> and everything that I can just whole whole. I, I should record those podcasts in my head and just release them because uh, they're they're an entire conversation. Yeah, Mine are just all arguments. Like seriously, you gonna be a bitch right now? You're tired. <laughs> you're tired. Okay, you're gonna be tired. All right, why don't you just quit? And I'm very mean to myself. Uh, I, I do, I do that all the time in races. I'm just talking to myself. I, are you really, you, you came all this way and now you're going to go home. You're tired. Pussy. That's why you're going to, that's why you're going to, that's why you're going to go home. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things like you, you have to, I, it's actually a strategy that I've done is like, sometimes I'll do bigger things than I, I think I can, because if it's too easy, you know, if it's, oh, I'm just going to go to the gym down the street, get in my car and go three minutes or whatever. It's like almost too easy. And then it's easy or to talk yourself out of it. But if you overcommit yourself, if you over invest in this one little thing, then you're like, Hey, I, I have to go do this thing. Like there's no, there's no other options here. I'm, yeah. I'm not walking six miles home after I got my, my, my face beaten. Yeah. Like I see dudes like not Jews, people set goals and they post them online as accountability. Like, first of all, all those people usually on their goals and that's why most people do not make it through their new year's resolution past like martin luther king day like i hold myself personally accountable for myself i'm not going to make a social media post to i'm not doing what i do for other people like i do things for other people but all of my sports and activities it's for me i never got why people anyone who's post something online say you know what if if i 
post this, it'll hold me accountable. Like, really? Do you actually care what other people think more than what you care about yourself? I like, I, I don't get it. That's a- I don't get it. It, it's, it, it. it blows my mind that, like, your job, like, you get one body. I know people who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on cars and maintaining them and hours fixing them, yet they won't eat a salad or go for a run. Like, you care about inanimate objects or strangers online more than you care about your own self mind-blowing the uh so i actually have a thing that started off as a accountability a public accountability thing it's called my impossible list and when i started it it was something that i did because i was like i need the outside pressure of someone else Uh, otherwise i was in such a bad rut in my life it was like seven years ago that i need public pressure in order to do this even though nobody, like at the time, nobody, I, I don't think anybody read my blog. I think my mom and my brother read my blog. And it would have been only if we was, saw one view. Like one of those people yeah. lied and didn't read it. And you're like, and that was mine. Okay. That was actually yeah. my view. I was refreshing. But one of the things it did for me was it, 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 like you said, with you know, when you moved and you started acting like the person that you wanted to become, it forced me to start acting and doing the things that I wanted to do. And then eventually it became, I'm actually really curious about how this happened with you, but for me, it became this thing that, okay, I posted and it was, it was a public thing. And, uh, and then it, it turned into something that became like an innate ethic where if I'm going to say, I'm going to go do something, if I, if I've gone through the process of internalizing it into my head and then getting to the point where it actually comes out my mouth, if it comes out my mouth, it's already done. Like if I get to the point where I've, I've talked about it, like the project is already done. It just needs to be completed. And that's the point for me where it's become much less about getting external pressure now as, as much as it is like maintaining uh, congruence with the things that, I decide inside that I want to do and then physically going out and enacting those uh, out in the world. Yep. I, and if no one was watching, then the, the accountability was just on yourself. You just yep. place the accountability on yourself. I guess, I guess I'll reword what I said before, because I still think it's ridiculous that, <laughs> that people need outside validation basically, but yours wasn't outside validation. I think family. It's, it's it's a bad it's a bad long term it's a bad long term fuel if you're depending on what other people are going to think of you, but sometimes I think there's a a aspect where it forces you to start like if you have outside pressure that like, uh, like if you have outside pressure to do an X Y Z thing, it can force you to start acting in the way that you said you wanted to act. And then it becomes, it starts to, you know, kind of snowball over time and creates that sort of character. Like you said, with, you know, you're walking and, uh, you know, becoming that you started acting like that, you know, whoever you could be. And then you started to become that person. And then eventually, you know, change from that. In hindsight, it's kind of scary because the, like the goals I was setting and the things I was in my mind, I wasn't setting unrealistic goals. I was, hmm. I was just like, I walked this far. Uh, I'm definitely going to win. Like I got to the point that <laughs> like after my first couple fights, and I don't mean this as in a cocky way. 
I knew that I was the greatest boxer ever to live. And I knew it to be so true in my heart that I didn't mention it. And I didn't mention it because I didn't want other people to judge me. I didn't mention it because I just assumed everyone knew. Hmm. So I, I entered, I, I trained like I was the best and I entered the ring like I was going to win. It was, I was never nervous about losing. My only nervous thing was walking up the, the I, I, I trip on stairs a lot. I'm clumsy. So like walking up the stairs to the ring was the only thing I was nervous about. And uh, that, that fairy came true. I fought on, uh, I was fighting, I think it was Spike TV on Christmas day, which was awesome because everyone's home and like, they know I'm fighting. So everyone gets to see me fight. And mm-hmm. I, I spent $400 on a cape. I had an embroidered cape with the, like the, the organization logo on it. Mr. Awesome. Even before I changed my name, I said Mr. Awesome. And it was, it was it was nice. It was, it was, it wasn't really a cape. It was more of a cloak. Uh, I expected the cape, but I was happy with the cloak and like how it is, is like you're at the top of these stairs when you first go, like they, you enter the ring. So the ring walk is, uh, the fireworks go off like, and then you walk down these stairs and you walk towards the ring and you get in the ring. Well, of course that's too simple. So what I decided to do was, fireworks go off instead of going down the stairs i jump off the side of the stairs i run through the crowd with my cape on high-fiving people and then i hop over the barrier and in my head because i flip into the ring right i I do like a front somersault ring and i picked up a lot of momentum and i was going to step one foot on i was going to jump to the third stair and then from the third stair i was going to leap one stair and then somersault over the top rope into the ring and do it like a ta-da, and it was going to be a great photo op. And <laughs> how'd that go for you? I picked up very great speed, very great speed, and I felt the momentum going. My feet, my foot placement was great, and I jumped on that third stair. And as I bent my knees to like get a really good jump, uh, my knees just kept bending because the stairs were not uh, bolted; they weren't bolted to the ground. So when my right foot hit the stairs, it just slid and I bust my ass like on my back. The first thing I think is like my coach is if if I'm not dead, he's going to kill me. (laughs) And uh, like I, I I eventually got up and I looked around and I was like, wow, I look stupid. Don't I? I I bowed and walked into the ring slowly. Like I should have been the first place. (laughs) But that's the only thing I was ever afraid of in boxing was the, was the stairs. And then I look back at videos of my older fights and I was terrible. Like I have no clue how anyone let me beat them. (laughs) I'd be more embarrassed losing to me, but I entered the ring with the confidence and the mindset of knowing that I put in the work. And, uh, that's, you know, it's 99% mental. Yep. So when you're when you're training, how how what's your training regimen look like when you're when you're getting ready for one of those fights? Uh, what I usually my training is is uh, I try to spar four or five times a week. I spar more than anyone else. I don't really hit the bag because all you can the bag should be hit when you don't have a person to hit. 
Because if you lower your hands on the bag or you have bad habits on the bag, the bag won't make you pay. So you just develop bad habits. If I'm sparring someone and I start doing bad habits, then I have the physical consequences to deal with. And it works on my timing. It works like – because anyone can hit the bag for 10 rounds, but could you spar for 10 rounds? You can hit the bag for 10 rounds and then fight and get tired, but you can't spar 10 rounds and fight and get tired. It's a different level of exertion. Granted, you have to be super conscious of making bad habits because the bag is supposed to – where you go through the motions and you, you work on your fundamentals. But then again, fundamentals are crutches for the untalented. <laughs> Kenny Powers. There you go. <laughs> Kenny. What a what's, what's it what's it like to to build that type of endurance? Because uh uh like I said, I've a lot of my athletic uh, challenges have come in the form of different races and long distance and ultra ultra races. Can you run without and, uh, music? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I a, hate a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust anybody that can run without music. I try to well, I, I, I had it. I had a start because uh, I got into it with triathlons and triathlons. They don't, uh, I mean, I guess they, you might be able to get away with it, but a lot of races don't allow you to uh, uh, bring any sort of music on the course because especially when you get to the bike, there's just too many different things. And so when I was training for triathlons, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use any uh, uh, music, headphones, nothing. And then when it transitioned to uh, just marathons and ultra marathons, it got to the point where, it was weird and it was like too much weight to carry around. And so, uh, I, I replaced, what was this, uh, was this back in the eighties when people had like, <laughs> like, this was like, earlier than, <laughs> this was like last year. Uh, but even like, even, even after that, I, I basically replaced music with, uh, muttering to myself, like a crazy person. <laughs> and, uh, all those conversations that we just talked about, just be like, Oh, yeah, you're going to give up now. You're tired now. You're going to slow down now. Like, really? That's, that's what you're going to do you're you're 15 miles out like that's not going to work so uh uh basically i've replaced music with my own entertainment of my own conversations and uh personal motivation if you will i tried man i tried to do the whole you know uh run without music thing but it sucks the the last thing i want to be stuck with is thoughts in my own head which they're never good i like that I I, I I tend to say that I when I go out for a run, uh, I'll solve more problems than I'll actually remember. Like I'll go out with like figure out problems that I didn't know I had, and then I'll forget about them by the time <laughs> I get home. And then like I forgot the answers, and so it doesn't actually give, leave me in a net gain. But it feels like good therapy yeah. in the moment. So it's like you do all of your therapy blackout drunk and don't remember anything the next day. <laughs> like when you wake up, when you wake up blackout drunk, you feel like crap. But in in your head, you don't remember much what went on. But you're like last night. That was, that was a good fucking night. That was, that was a good run. I was happy I did yeah. that. Did you check your phone? Um, uh, see what pictures are in it? What text messages? <laughs> so when uh, when you're fighting, and uh, the one one of the things I I, I want to talk to you about from a, a boxing angle is the endurance and the resiliency you have to build up to uh, to handle a fight because. It's one thing, you know, from my perspective of running and all these different things to, you know, push through, you know, personal pain or whatever. It's an, it's another thing to be actually getting punched, you know, in the face, in the body, wherever, uh, and then continuing to go and, and, and also being strategic about, you know, how you're continuing uh, throughout the fight, not just 
not just surviving the fight, but actually, you know, trying to win the thing. So what, what are you like, you know, you, you said, you know, you, you talk to yourself a lot, but like, what are you thinking about? Like, as you're going through a fight or as you're, you know, progressing through like a really tough workout on, uh, you know, how you're going to get through it. Uh, for working out, uh, there's no motivator quite like, uh, someone staying in front of you trying to put you to sleep. So that doesn't mm-hmm. really, uh, like the sparring and stuff in the gym, uh, running and doing the cardio stuff. I don't care how hard it is because there's nothing worse than the pain felt after losing. Like, but there's no better feeling than like after the first round you look over and he's dead tired and you feel invincible. And he knows there's nothing like he regrets all of his decisions of staying out late and partying and worrying about weight. (laughs) You know, you've been killing it. And then you get to conquer his soul. And in your head, you like, when I get in that situation, where I look over and the guy was guys like dead tired after the first round. I'm like, Oh, we're, I'm definitely going to not play around the first round, but second round, I'm I'm just not going to try to take him out because I just want to see him. The look on the guy's face when they make it out of the second round and they like the bell rings. They have this look on their face, like shit. Got to walk all the way back to the corner. And then when they get to the corner, they remember after they get to sit down for forty five seconds, they got to deal with me again. That is the greatest feeling. Like a you're like a cat playing with a toy or something. Yes, like that. I call it. That's I call it conquering a man's soul. So what I do is Ooh, I, I like play that. a lot of mental games when I fight. And it, and mm-hmm. from the outside, it looks like I'm playing around. I'm showboating, but it's not partly. Uh, so like I'm southpaw. So my right leg's out front, my right hand's out front. And I usually fight right-handers. Uh, and if he throws a jab, I'll slip to my right and throw an uppercut, a lead uppercut. And it always lands clean. Uh, it's just one of those punches where it takes balls to throw, but when you land it, it's good. And he throws a jab mm-hmm. again, uppercut. Those a jab again, uppercut. Those a jab again. I lean for the uppercut. I don't throw it. I just look at him. So now he knows if he throws that hand, I'm going to hit him with another goddamn uppercut. So he stops throwing that hand. Now I'm fighting a one-handed fighter. And when I can mm-hmm. do that to the second hand, every guy does the same involuntary exhale. Like at some point, we take a step back and like, that's their soul leaving their body. They know there's nothing they can physically do. They're mentally beat already, and there's nothing they can physically do to, to win this match. And they know I'm not going to mm-hmm. hurt them because I'm not a knockout puncher, but they know they're going to be embarrassed. And beating a man's ass in front of his wife and kids, there's no better feeling. Like, I just feel like I can go to his house and control the remote. <laughs> <laughs> just start erasing shit off the DVR. That's, that would be great. Uh, that that's that's my favorite part about boxing. That is that's it. And the the thing about boxing is I can use ten percent of the effort I put into boxing in any other avenue of my life, uh, whether it's speaking or comedy or podcasting. Just ten percent of the effort from boxing, and I'll I'll kill it in anything because boxing forces you to step your level up because there is no. There's no rating. There's no ranking. Like in your, you don't know who you're going to face next. 
and you don't know what they're going to do. So you just need to prepare for everything, always, every time. And it just forces you to be on a different level of competition. Because like if you if you if you know if you're in the NBA and you know you're playing like Golden State Warriors, you're like, oh yeah, man, we gotta bring our A games. And then you know tomorrow you're playing like the 76ers. And uh, I don't watch basketball, but I just assume they're still trash. So I'll go with that. Uh, then you're like, all right, we can be a little more relaxed. They can't shoot three pointers. They can't do this. They can't do that. In boxing, anyone can do anything. And at any point, you can get hit with a lucky punch. So you have to train so hard that you beat luck. And good luck doing that because it's impossible. Hmm. That's good. I like that. Uh yeah. So one of the things that um, I think Mark Cuban said is business is a is like sports, but twenty four seven and never stops. And I think that's one of the things that always uh, appeals to me about business and and just other endeavors outside of sports is that it's always a competition, and you know no, someone's not trying to punch you in the face, but someone's trying to take you down. Oh. Uh, That's one way worse, or another. In, in boxing, and, when you get taken to the ground, someone counts to 10. In business, you lose your house, your car, like the money you have. Your wife's probably going to leave you because she's probably only with you because you're rich in the first place. Uh, then she's going to take half of everything you don't got. Uh, yeah. That's, so, yeah, business is even more like it's more of a fight. You have more to lose. It's literally everything you have. It's, uh, have, do you have kids? No. Congratulations. No. How old are you? No. I'm, tw- I'm 30. You're out of high school without getting pregnant. Surprise. How hard was that? Most people can't figure it out. <laughs> Shout out to us for not having children, which, uh, when, when we turn like 50 and we're like, oh shit, we're going to die alone. <laughs> that's, that's when we won't be laughing anymore. But for right now, I'm changed diapers and I have disposable income. So let's live it up. Uh, but having a business is is like because I'm building my speaking business and I put I put so much love into it and time and effort and I lose sleep rarely for a bad thing but if like like I had a new deal go through with the United States Olympic Committee where I'll be speaking on their behalf and and I couldn't sleep for about three days just because as soon as I laid down all I've been doing all day is working and as soon as I lay down like I get giddy which is like wondering what who like who I'll talk to next and 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 what what business I'll I'll reach out to and and I I lose sleep because this is my this is my baby I love it and then I like I see my talent progress and I see uh I I see the way I react to things I wouldn't have reacted to the way that way before like if if a slide today one of my slides went down during my speech I just shut off the projector cuz I mean cuz I'm comfortable enough to just run with it and uh in comedy, when you get deal with hecklers, like it's it's, and, and I'm watching my business grow, and I'm I I started raising my prices because I was getting a lot of gigs, and this is exactly what parents probably feel like watching their children grow, and I love it. It it's it, this is this is replacing the void that boxing will leave. So so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you you're. Are you done done with boxing? Are you transitioning out of it? And then let's let's talk about the transition from from boxing to comedy because it is one of those things where uh, 
comedy is kind of similar to boxing where you got to go in and you have, you know, your plan, but anything can happen. And it, the crowd sucks. You start bombing, you know, you get heckled. Uh, you have to be prepared for a lot of different avenues. So what, what was the, what was the impetus to, to transition uh, both away from boxing and then what drew you towards comedy? Uh, I'd say both are difficult in their own ways. I think that uh, comedy is a little more so difficult. Uh, granted in, in boxing, you don't know who your opponent's going to be, but you know they have two hands. If you're lucky, they may have one, uh, which I've seen. That's You'd be surprised. I saw a dude fight with a nub and a normal hand. Uh, but you know what you're getting. But in comedy, you not only have to have your jokes set up great, uh, you have to use communication skills you have to read the crowd. You have to know the crowd that you're speaking that that you're performing for. You have to deal with hecklers the right way because I I had a heckler once that like I was on a roll, I was on fire with not just my material but like crowd work or whatever, and someone heckled me and I just ripped the dude apart. I it was I wish it was recorded, uh, but I started doing too good against the heckler and the crowd turned on me, and then I learned. Can't do too good against a heckler because they don't have a microphone. And eventually everyone will realize you're just shitting on a drunk dude. Uh, and uh, also now it's even more difficult because everyone's being offended by everything. So it, that's a little more difficult. And on top of that, not all of my material material is clean. Uh, and now that I'm in the public's eye as a role model, which I believe you can still be a role model and not be a you can still be a role model and not be uh, air quotes good person because uh, mm-hmm. sorry bro sorry to break it to you you're a terrible person I'm a terrible person your neighbors are terrible people if it's taken out of context and I think the context of comedy is there's nothing that should be taken in context it's humor nothing is off limits sick people. Dead people, injured babies, gays, uh, black people, white people, transgenders, nothing should be off limits. But what I'm dealing with now is I'm learning that there are a lot of things that are off limits. (laughs) And my pride is in a constant battle, which whether I should say it for my own personal satisfaction or not say it so the crowd can enjoy themselves and I can get booked off a referral. Mm-hmm. I don't. Well, it's it's different too with with corporate gigs versus like the U.S. Olympic Committee ones versus like a a comedy seller type crew versus knowing knowing where you're speaking to and and their yeah. uh, allowance, if you will, for different levels oh, of humor. And you would think so, but there and it only takes one person who has nothing going on in their life and needs to feel offended because it's the only way they can gather attention. That like I had a, I had a joke and it was it was it was it was partly it was a storytelling thing and uh, I had learning issues growing up and like issues with comprehending reading and and uh, just have a different learning style and I was supposed to be in special ed which I should have been in special ed in hindsight because I didn't learn anything in school because I have a different learning style and my grandmother sat me down and told me I was retarded those were the words she used. 
And she didn't mean it in a demeaning way, but she's she like, you're retarded and you learn a little differently and I'll put you in special ed, but the kids will make fun of you. So don't go to special ed, uh, but stay quiet. And that was kind of like the premise of the joke. And it leads into like a joke about me being a public speaker. And because my grandma told me to stay quiet. Uh, so people don't know that I'm stupid. Uh, I had a girl come up to me after the show and was like, hey, I just want you to know that I was really offended because the person I was with drives a school bus uh, for uh, special ed. I was like, so because my question was, well, how did that dude feel about it? Well, he didn't really mind, but I don't. I was like, whoa, whoa. How can you be offended for someone else? You have nothing going on in your life. Like, I granted, some things are offensive, but nah. People are way too sensitive. And I feel like people who are more like, most likely to be offended are people who have nothing going on. And that's the only way they can, uh, I guess, validate their existence by being offended by someone else. Well, it's, it's tough with comedy. Yeah, well, it's tough with comedy too because the whole point is to push the edge of of what's acceptable and and poke fun at society from an absurdist perspective and from different angles and uh, and sometimes materials finalized, sometimes it's not. And when people, uh, you know, it's it's like when people record in a comedy store and some guy's working out a joke and then they post it on uh, YouTube and they get yeah. all mad at him on like some joke that it like, wasn't finished. yeah, it bombed and he did a bad job, but and, and, he, he was going to fix it. it, it and, you know, not yeah, that it. is a big no, no. Uh, and there, there's some jokes that don't go over well, but as long as there are, there's some effort involved and you can tell the intentions are there and the intentions are good. But the joke, like if you get on stage, you say, Oh, Mexican people drive pickup trucks. Well, that's, uh, it's an observation. It's not really comedy, uh, but n- not really a great joke. Not offended. Uh, probably because I'm not Mexican. But if they're like, black people like chicken. Yeah, okay. You're naming stereotypes. That's not comedy. Uh, I had a joke about that I got in trouble for that uh, was, I guess the premise of it was why white people are bad at sports. And it's because of the way they raise their children. And the joke goes into like little Timmy's at the basketball court and he has a basketball and he wants to impress his dad. So he dribbles a ball. He shoots, he misses everything. What does a dad, what does a white dad do? He just, Hey, good, good Hi, job. Yeah. Good job, Timmy. Like, Cause he attempts. And then it's like, and Tyrone's on the other side of the court. He has a basketball. Nobody knows how, uh, probably stole it, whatever. And he wants to impress his dad. Problem is, he doesn't know who his dad is. He knows the only way that his dad will see him play basketball is if he makes it to the NBA. He's been dunking on Timmy since seventh grade. Like, that was a joke. But you can't get offended off of a well-thought-out joke. So I'm, what, I'm, what I'm curious about is how you got from boxing to comedy. Because it seems like uh, I watched a bunch of your, your post-boxing uh, interviews. And uh, you're like... They're pretty funny. They're like they're like uh, intros for like your monologues or something <laughs> oh, yeah. like that. Like I, I enjoyed them quite a bit. Uh, but what was the you know like how do you get out of boxing and then get into um, uh, comedy? And is that was that like a seamless transition or how how did that uh, happen? I used to go to open mic, so I was broke for a very long time. Uh, technically, still broke <laughs> in the in the big scheme of things. Uh, chasing dreams, yeah, but. Uh, I used to go to open mic night comedy nights cause it was always free and 
open mics are where the inexperienced comics go, which I didn't know that. And I saw everyone doing that. I was like, this is, these people are terrible. I can do better. But I really hate when people say they can do something better than someone who does it when they don't do it. Like people who talk shit in LeBron James, like, oh, he ain't that good. He, LeBron James tried. You couldn't make a free throw. Like LeBron James is dunking from the three point line. Like you not, I, it bothers me when someone shits on something that someone else puts so much passion into. And the fact that I said, I can do better than that in my head. I was like, well, I better try. And mm-hmm. I knew I was the funniest guy in the world. And I got on stage and, uh, I did amazing. Uh, that's what I told myself after I got off stage. I did terrible, but, uh, I lied to myself a lot. I, and I think that's, a part of resilience is lie to yourself because if I were to be honest with how that went, I would never get on stage again. Uh, I like to say I have a, I have a short term memory when it comes to the things that I screwed up or failed at. I was just like, Oh yeah, for, yeah just, just forget about that. Yeah, that never no, no big deal. No and big deal. Uh, move along. It, but it's it. That is it. When guys get into boxing, they lose like, they get knocked out or something. Their third fight, they're like, "Oh man, I'm done with this." Like th- that's like if you keep going, that's when you're going to get better. And when you have 200 fights, you get to fight guys with three fights and knock them out too. But the dude who knocked you out when you had three fights got knocked out when he had three fights, but he kept going. That's where I am. I have just under 400 amateur fights. When I fight these new guys coming up, I'm the man. But I have to fight. Those dudes, when I only had a few fights, and I had to fight whoever the man was. And I took L's, but I always came back. I mean, that, and I think that's the greatest thing that boxing taught me is, is that you're not allowed to be a bitch. You know why? Because if you don't give a shit about your life and what you're capable of accomplishing, no one else is going to care either. And once that sunk in for me, I don't do anything for anyone else. Like there, there are things that I do for other people, which would make me seem like a nice person. But to be honest, I do it because it makes me feel good. So it's still a selfish act. Like people only care about themselves and maybe something that looks like them, which they call kids. But I don't have those. So it's just me. And anything I do, I do it for me. Because I just feel like that's the only thing I owe anyone to. Oh, anything. Oh, anything to is myself. And why not set myself up to have the best life possible? One one of the things you said was uh, just what like what's the price? You know, what's the price of admission? And you said, uh, you know, okay, I made it three fights, and uh, oh, I got knocked out, so I'm gonna you know head home now. It's like people don't realize what the price is to uh, they they say, hey, I could do that, or yeah, that's easy. I you know. Um, like you said, with stand-up comedy, oh, I could do that. And then they don't do it. Or they say, I want to do this, but they're not willing to pay the price. And that's the number one thing that I've always found is uh, the key to getting anything done. You just have to figure out what it costs, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's hours in the gym, whatever it is, figure out what's the balls. It's your humility. Yeah, just, just the balls to go after. There's, there's, like I and and one day I wish I, I, I I'm gonna have a talk with my friends, but I'm not in the point in my life where I can have that talk. 
I would like to talk to my friends and let them know that I am aware of how bad I am. Because I have super supportive friends. When I do comedy, like probably the first three years I was doing it, I was just bombing. But I can sell tickets and not to fans, just friends and stuff. And they're in the crowd mm-hmm. and they laugh whether it's funny or not. And I know they're laughing because it's me. And I don't think they know I keep going. They may think I keep going because they're laughing. I know they're laughing with me, but I am aware of how bad I am or I was at the time. And I just know that I'll just get on stage again. I'll just keep getting on stage until I get good. But it, it, how, uh, how long have you been doing uh, stand up for? About six years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and what a, I just, I just, uh, I do shows anywhere I can. Like, I believe the more stage time you have, the better. And because I have the platform that I have, I get to become better faster than normal people because stage time is hard to come by. And uh, there's there's been times where, like, uh, for Christmas, I did a holiday party. And they didn't have it in their budget to have a comedian, a DJ, and an MC. So I said, how about I DJ the party, MC the party, and I do the comedy show? Because I'm not passing up stage time. And I knew, like I asked, I was like, what's the crowd like? They said, well, 18 to 80. <laughs> they That's were right. It was accurate. It was a real estate agency. It was literally 18-year-olds and 80-year-olds. And I did the show. And <laughs> to be honest, as it's going on, I lie to myself. And I've gotten so good at it, I don't know how the show actually went. Uh, I have a recording of the show, never watch it, don't care to, uh, because I'm afraid that I did terrible. I got my check, I got the experience, and I got on stage again after that. And I've done shows at places with terrible acoustics. I've done shows at high schools, middle schools, uh, after after school programs. And the more stage time I get, the more comfortable I get. And I believe the more comfortable I get on stage, the more content I create, the easier I create content, the better I'll become. And that's in anything. And if you can just get over the embarrassment and stop thinking that you're actually that important to where if you do bad at something, everyone's going to remember it forever. There have been, I've talked about my bad shows, but there's been shows I've killed. And I'm 100% sure that Monday when they go to work, they don't remember what my goddamn name is. And that's what you have to remember when you're bad there's, I, mean, I, I like that because uh, there's like a happy delusion in everything that you do. You said, like, you know, when you got into uh, boxing, you said, you know, I'm the best. And you've boxed one time. Like, you're probably not the best boxer in the world. But uh, you almost have to delude yourself into the fact that you're going to create those characters in, in order to get in the ring enough times to get the reps in order to become as good as you want to be. And same thing with the stage time. Uh, and the funny thing is about the, you know, you said, Oh, everybody thinks they're so important. Uh, you said everybody thinks they're so important that if you bomb on stage for your five minutes or your 15 minutes, or you get knocked out or whatever, like it's going to be a story for, you know, if you, if you bomb on stage, nobody's probably going to care past, you know, as soon as you're off stage, but you know, say you get nationally embarrassed, it's a big story. 
at the pace of the news cycles lately, like that's going to be a story for 36 yeah. hours max. That's the fact that and, Colin Kaepernick is no I'm, longer news. Should tell everyone everything they need to know. Like anything. I can't even remember what happens because it, it's, it's, we're, we are oversaturated with news and information that we can't retain anything or remember anything. It's just temporary entertainment. You won't ever remember anything great anymore. Why? Because we have too much access to greatness just it's an overflow of uh everything pretty much and uh, one of the things that i, I think you kind of have to do you just have to get over yourself get over the fact you're that not like, the world revolves you're around not you special. and that once you go do things that like actually embarrass you and realize nobody actually cares like you can go way down in the middle of the street and no one's really get, like they're gonna look at you a little weird but then they're gonna walk on by and they're gonna check their instagram account and they're gonna the forget only, about you and, the uh, only reason why you would come uh, up in conversation after laying down in the middle of the street are the people that were on their way to somewhere and you caused them traffic because it affected their lives other than that no one gives a shit about you unless they can get something out you or you're great at something you'll never be great if you're worried about what people think oh that's i need to nice. listen to this podcast uh, i'm talking some, i'm dropping some dimes yeah, yeah. you're inspiring yourself i like this so as far as like as we as we start like wrapping this up, um, as you know, from comedy to getting punched in the face, you know, across the board, when you go talk to people, what is like the one or two things that you tell people that have been like the key to you being able to do the things you've done? Only thing is, if you can fail without being discouraged, success becomes inevitable. That's I mean that that's the key to Boom. everything. That's yeah. that's good. And, and I, I, I wish it didn't sound like so cliche or the you can be anything you want to be type shit. Like I wish people knew that the reason why people write books giving away the actual, honest, genuine, authentic keys to success is because 99% of people won't do that shit anyway. You can give the secrets to success and people still won't become successful because you won't be successful unless you actually want to be successful. You're not going to be successful because you held yourself accountable on Facebook once six years ago. No one's going to remember that post. I don't even remember my mother's birthday and we're Facebook friends. You could just understand that you are you. There'll never be another you and you only have one life as far as you know. You might as well get the most out of it. I lose sleep, not out of out of fear or anything, just out of excitement for life. Because if you're not excited for life, nobody gives a shit if you're living. There's way too many people on this planet for anyone to care about you. So if you don't care about living and being happy, you're not going to really accomplish anything. And I would also tell people, the second thing is to ask for opportunities. Don't ask for favors. I do, I do so much for free. Like I, I, I speak for free. I do comedy for free because if you do something for free long enough, you'll develop a skill. And once you have a skill, people will pay for that skill and you monetize that skill. And then you can make a career doing what you love. But no one wants to do that. They don't want to – they're afraid of failing or looking stupid or being embarrassed and, and they don't want to do it anymore. They get knocked out after three fights and they're like, well, I guess I'll play golf. That's why those people will never be great. The only difference is someone who just keeps doing it. It's not even, you don't even have to be good when you decide to just keep doing it. Eventually, you'll become good. And if you eat enough shit, you'll be way too caught up in that to realize how great you are when you do become great. And that's where humility comes in. I, I like that. The, uh, the ability to do something for free in order to gain a skill, I think people really undervalue the fact 
that you can give away your time for free in order to develop something that's valuable. Uh, my buddy Derek Halpern put out a video the other day that said most people leave, you know, most millennials or what you know, whatever that is anymore, um, leave their job after like eighteen months because they feel like they're. Well, they were saying they feel undervalued, like they're not getting paid enough. And also, uh, they didn't... Um, it was it was not challenging. It was something along the lines of uh, they they didn't have the skills or they weren't getting trained for the job that they had, but they also wanted to get paid more. So they were simultaneously admitting that they didn't have the skills for the job, but they also wanted to get paid more for that job. <laughs> and... Eric just like looks at the the camera and he goes, "Are you kidding me?" And one of the things that I've talked about forever is that you know a lot of people you know in their early twenties or you know even early in their career they want to optimize and try to get as much money as possible. And it's like, man, if you if you want to build up a skill, if you want to do something, you know, you might you might be better off doing it for free and learning what it takes to be really good at that. And instead of getting paid in money, you're experience. getting paid in that skill. You're getting paid in learning. And then you go use that experience and you've got a you've got a a shortcut to a much higher pay grade or or whatever it is that you want to do. You can do it so much faster 100%. than anyone else. I know I talk to school I talk at schools to students about school. But seriously, if you like I know people who go to school for entrepreneurism, which I think you're a complete idiot. Nothing school can teach you if you go to school to learn how to be unemployed. Uh, it's completely ridiculous because every business is different. Every setup is different. Every generation is different. You're going to have different outcomes. Uh, but if you wanted to be in marketing, let's say, and you didn't ha- you didn't want to go to college for marketing, call up a marketing firm. Say, hey, I don't care if you're hiring or not. I would like to volunteer 20 hours a week for the next six months. In those six months, you show that you're a competent person and the only thing you ask for is a letter of recommendation after. After those six months, within those six months, someone's going to get fired. They're going to know your work ethic. They're going to know what you're capable of. And you have on-job experience. Someone with a bachelor's degree compared to someone with six months of experience on the field, who would you choose? Exactly. That's that's yeah, To be honest, that's exactly what I did. That like I graduated school and I couldn't get a job. And I ended up doing something almost exactly along those lines. You ate shit six for six months. months. And by the time... Yeah, I mean, I got paid like maybe like a thousand dollars a month or something. I, you know, like I barely even, uh, you know, nothing. I love you ate shit for a year, and um, and but by the end of it, I I was working directly with the owner. I knew where all like the bodies were buried. You know, you 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 become to the point where like he couldn't afford to let me leave. I was working for nothing, and he couldn't afford to let me leave. And yeah, so, hey, you're worth. Uh, yeah, I eventually Do you think got a job on that without so, college. Oh, I definitely could have. Um, my my whole situation was basically, I I was forced into becoming kind of building my life the way I wanted to because I had always done the things that you were supposed to do. I went to school, I got good grades, I was you know on multiple sports teams, I you know learned another language. I then I graduated in two thousand nine, and I couldn't get a job at Starbucks, and they wouldn't call me back, <laughs> and. Um, it got to the point where this free, you know, working, uh, you know, working for another entrepreneur for free for, for basically commission on a thing that 
uh, on a for a product that never sold for three months, and then on a lightly salaried contract uh, with him for you know less than minimum wage um, for another three months, and finally failed. You know, not not failed, but uh, worked for free my way into a job. And by the time I did that, uh, they couldn't afford to let me leave, and I got. I think I got promoted like twice in six months right after that and eventually got recruited to another thing and then started my own stuff. But God, that is uh, exactly – you need to write a goddamn book. I don't even know. Do you have a book? That's where you can plug your book. <laughs> I, I've got like a – I've got a short thing. I'm, uh, I'm, I may or may not be working on a longer, uh, longer book, but – um, that's the idea, man. Like it's the people, the fact that people think they come out of college or they, they have some degree they or they have some piece of paper it's, and that entitles them to it's worth nothing yeah. because maybe in the eighties, a bachelor's degree meant something because no one had one, but now everyone has one. So it's worth shit. And it's not worth the debt you're going to have forever with a job that you're probably not going to get because you have that degree. Unless of course it's something like your nurse, which certification for, I'm a big fan of trade schools. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you want to be a mechanic and you go to college, you're going to be like, hey, how about you take 13th century art interpretation and we'll charge you $600 for this book. I know that someone has the book from last year, but we changed the page. So now it's volume two. You need to buy the new one. Like that's what they do. And all you have to do is give effort. People just have skills that everyone else has. And they're like, well, this is definitely worth 100 k a year. It definitely is not. That last piece of uh, showing up and doing the work and – and really getting the skills before you ask for a, uh, uh, you know, before you, you think you're entitled to something is, is something that it's kind of been my low key entrepreneurship, like path, uh, of recommendation to anybody who sends in emails and, you know, all that stuff that I get, uh, off the site. But it's one of those things that I, I would say a, a huge percentage of entrepreneurs that I know got their start somewhere like that. They, they got in, with uh, just by doing uh, showing up for opportunities uh, for little or no money, and then making themselves invaluable and building the skill set to the point where uh, they either could command huge amounts of money or were able to build their own things that had massive amounts of value. And that was something that um, I kind of stumbled into backwardsly, but it's it's I've I've seen so many people do it that I can't believe that's not a um, more talked about viable way for people to go. Well, that takes more effort. And uh, I don't think people really want to give much effort in life. <laughs> Which makes it easy when you, uh, when you're willing to show up and do the work and get punched in the face and, uh, and, uh, exactly. And make I didn't it know happen. what hard work was till I got punched in the face when I didn't work hard enough. And that's the type of stuff that, <laughs> that, will make you excel above everybody else. Well, there we go. Um, as far as all of your stuff, uh, where can fi- people find uh, more of you as uh, if they want to find out more about oh, Cam? You can catch awesome. me posting on Craigslist. Uh, I usually check Kansas City Misconnections on a daily basis. It's literally my iPhone's most viewed site. <laughs> I never post. I just always wonder if someone misses me. Uh, I'm at Cam F. Awesome uh, on everything because I'm not famous enough for anyone to steal my name yet. Also, you legally changed it. So I, I don't know if anyone else actually has. The no, name no, Cam no, no, they, they don't. It's just me. There's not, there's not a bunch of you. No, well, book, so. If, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if a lady plays her cards, right, she could be Mrs. Awesome. DMS are open. Oh. <laughs>
right, let's let's wrap it right there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks we'll for again me. soon. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you did, go ahead on over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review. Helps us out the most. Also, check out impossiblegear.com, 10% off with the promo code PODCAST, and pick up some of the best gear to get comfortable while doing something uncomfortable. Also, check out movalapp.com, 10-minute mobility routines that can help you get healthy, get stronger, get faster, and start moving well. All right, guys, so that's it for today's show. I will see you right back here next week. And until then, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible.